welcome back to Around the Table, the podcast for redemption women from Tempe, Arizona. My name's Dina Rogers, and I'm joined today with some of my friends. You met Carrie Vaughn last time, and then we have our friend Susie. So welcome to both of you. Thanks. Um, I'm Carrie Vaughn, and I wanted to share just a briefly about how Susie and I met. We have been friends for six months now. Six months. <laughs> six months. <laughs> And one of the things that happened the other day, I feel like, exemplifies who you have been, I know, to me. We were helping a friend put some things into her car after the gather event. And she has some type of SUV. And I walk to the car and press a button, and the trunk opens automatically. Something was beeping, and lights were flashing. And I went, wah! And Susie kind of touched my arm, and she goes, it's okay. It's supposed to be this way. <laughs> and I went, oh, I mean, that's exactly where I feel like you've been in my transition here to America and to Tempe because we moved here from China. I feel like you consistently have said, it's okay. It's supposed to be this way. So anyway, please welcome Susie. She's going to be our friend. For sure. You're such a calming presence. We all need you in our lives. <laughs> it's not, it's what you see on the outside. Uh, Well, Susie, we wanted to give everyone a chance to get to know you a little bit. Can you share with us what has brought you to Tempe? Because you didn't grow up here. So share a little bit about yeah, what brought you and your family here. Okay. So just quickly, as far as a little bit of background, um, I grew up um, in San Diego. Um, I have two younger brothers and went off to college to Biola University. Met my husband, Jim, there, and we lived in Colorado for... 38 years. Um, just moved here to Tempe in May. Um, decided to give myself the great big bath of all the uh, Arizona heat. <laughs> just, you know, rip the Welcome day out. Um, and literally, we took advantage of the housing market in Colorado as far as selling our home there. And my folks live in San Diego, so now we're quite a bit closer to them. Uh, one of our three daughters lives in Gilbert. And we have two other daughters who one lives in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and the other one lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Got ya. Yeah. And you, you bought your house very close to here, right? Close to church. Is that how you landed here? Yes. We absolutely had no idea where we were going to go and find a church and turned right off of Price and went, <laughs> let's try this one. <laughs> so, yeah, right off the interstate. Very cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, that's great. So Colorado's a little different, maybe, than Arizona. Skosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little just, different. Just it's, a little bit different. Yeah, it's my desert in a lot of ways. Um, love the desert. Grew up traveling to the desert with grandparents periodically, mm. <clears throat> but never really spent much time in the desert until we moved here. So, yeah. That's great. Very different. Well, we are excited to have you join Thank us you. today. Thanks. Um, we wanted to start off this week in our Names of God study. We talked about El Shaddai. And one of the things, Dina, I would like wanted you to share with just a little bit, maybe of a, a deeper dive into the word El Shaddai. Yeah, for sure. So El, the first part of El Shaddai, and we're going to see that a lot throughout um, the journal. El is just an old, um, it comes from an old Mesopotamian area language called Eucharist. 
But in that old ancient time when Israel was becoming a nation and learning who the one true God is, El was a very common name for gods. So throughout the Old Testament, whenever El refers to God, um, it's, there, it's a capital G, G-O-D. Whenever it refers to gods of other nations, it's just small letter, G-O-D. Um, but it was just sort of a universal word for God that they accepted in defining God. It was before they knew God's covenant name, Yahweh. So El was just the name of a God. Um, and then the Shaddai part is super interesting. Um, I started um, just really thinking about the names of God and looking up the sort of origins um, when my husband was a professor at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And one of his colleagues was from Israel, loved Hebrew, would say that he's not a believer, certainly in Jesus, um, but kept a copy of the Old Testament scriptures in his office and wanted to read Hebrew every single day so that he wouldn't forget. And so when he heard that I was studying the names of God and wanted to know the origins, he was always super open and wanted to talk to me and um, would get out a whiteboard and show me all the details of how the language came together to define God. And so I asked him about El Shaddai because in most Bibles, the translation is God Almighty. And he told me that in um, a long time ago when the Bible was being translated, when the Old Testament was being translated into Greek, that copy of the Bible is called the Septuagint, that the translators believed that the word Shaddai was um, derived from the word Shaddad, which means like warrior, or uh, it's a battle word. And so they said that God was almighty because he was a victor in battle. Um, when my friend was a young boy growing up in Jewish school, the rabbi said that the origin of the word Shaddai was actually from a word called shad, um, which means breast, which little Jewish boys found hysterical. <laughs> but um, interestingly, if you look at most of the references of El Shaddai in Genesis, it refers to a God who is going to sustain a nation. And so it kind of makes sense that he is the nourisher, the provider, the sufficient one to make a nation out of one man who is super old. Um, and then as I started to read even some uh, Messianic Jewish websites, um, it kind of concurred that probably, and nobody knows for sure, that probably Shaddai did come from that idea of being a nourisher. Um, and then there's a couple other um, ideas. The word sado or sadu is a mountain, and is this idea of a mountain god. And then there's an old song that's sung every year for Passover, Dayenu, which means God is enough. And the die part, the shad die, some people have thought meant that um, Shaddai is the God who is enough. So how do we pull all those together? How can a, a warrior God and a nursing God and a nourishing God and mountain God, how can they all mean the same thing? And I think um, as, I've, as I've looked at the stories that El Shaddai gave the patriarchs this God that they could trust and believe in to be sufficient when everything they had to offer was not enough. 
So he could he he did fight for them. He fought for the nation to become a nation. He was their nourisher, their sustainer. He exemplified strength like a mountain god. But in everything, he was the rest of the story when they weren't enough. And so it seems like those are sort of diverse definitions, but I think when we read it in the context, they all kind of make sense that that's who God is. Yeah. Yeah. Susie, you referenced earlier, I think this allusion to being in a desert. Well, maybe literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to hear a little bit from you about this idea of El Shaddai for you and your journey and where you're at and how he has been an, an El Shaddai to you. Well, I think one of the reasons why I can step back a little bit is I've been here for eight long months now. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if I'm smiling yet when I think about what God has done, but I do know more than anything that when you leave something that you're very comfortable in, and I was extremely comfortable mm. in Colorado, yeah. extremely comfortable, um, you have a tendency to not pay attention to the things that are really important. Not to the point to where, um, and I guess I can back up and say that I was truly the author of my own schedule, had all the friends I needed, said I didn't really need any new friends. <laughs> well, I believe said that. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I was going to retire from teaching after 29 years, and I was going to have my no more alarm clock, travel when I wanted to, um, I call it the Christmas letter life. I had the Christmas mm. letter life, the perfect photo. Everybody was smiling. Um, and then God decided to move that retirement cheese that I had set up wow. in a big way. Um, and so it started off as a simple, well, we should probably take advantage of the economy in Denver and maybe, you know, set ourselves up for that retirement dream and not have a house payment, not have car payments. Um, so, yeah, it was one of those things where I really thought, well, this will be easy. You know, we'll just move. <laughs> it's going to be dealing, flexible. Not much really phases me. And so we literally said, well, let's kind of look at the map and see what's a middle place for my folks in San Diego, daughter now here in Arizona. And so we decided we love sunshine. We've had enough snow. Yeah. <laughs> and let's just try Phoenix. We really like sunshine and swimming pools and wearing shorts. And so that's kind of how we landed. Did it seem easier when you were deciding then than it actually was once you were here? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at the pictures of the homes that are available on Redfin, and you, you know, can everything's so technologically easy. You can right. You know, right. do all those things. Um, and all, they have, um, you know, a grocery store chain that we know, Fry's in Colorado. It's um, King Super. So, you know, we can use our gas points mm -hmm. wherever. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like such an easy transition. Right. Wasn't going to be working. I can figure. We can figure this out. Like, yeah, it's kind of my byline. You know, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It's so much easier than 
I yeah. feel like the moving and transition, the adventure of it fades pretty quickly when you realize you have to pack your kitchen. And you, you know, you have to do all these practical things. You go, oh, yeah. The shimmer quickly fades. So what were some of the hard things? Yeah, what were the things that kind of brought you to a place where you were trusting God in a different way? So going as from a teaching position to being at home here, literally, you know, that was really probably one of the biggest challenges for mm. me. Um, teaching middle schoolers, Love them, love, love, love them. Yeah. But you know, moving at 150 miles an hour with your hair on fire, you know, keeping track of kids all day. Um, I mean, that really, for me, um, was autom automatic. It was automatic. I did that. Mm -hmm. But then, here, at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, it's just me. Mm -hmm. And the things that normally took place with grading papers and seeing friends and going on long walks and I mean it was 116 degrees here <laughs> when I came. Oh yeah. So it pretty much came to a screeching halt here. And I felt um, more than anything God saying this is where I want you because this is where you're going to get to know me again. Mm. All over again in a really fresh new way because you know, I was doing church mm -hmm. in Colorado. I had a neighborhood home church, so we'd walk across the street. Um, I had friends in a Bible study for over 38 years. And I came here, and none of that was at my fingertips. Yeah. So it was a, a, an abrupt halt, and I think I needed the silence to be able to hear Jesus. Mm. Oh, that's such a good statement. It is. And I think one of the things, Dina, you might have mentioned at Gather, but as we've we continue to study the names of God that we see is oftentimes when God reveals himself very specifically mm -hmm. as a, a specific name, that person's alone, aren't they? They're yeah. isolated. They've been pulled away for whatever reason from their community and their people. And God knows exactly how to show himself to yeah. in that moment. Our world is so loud. Yes. And even as believers, we get so committed to wonderful community right. that we forget that when we make space for silence and solitude, it's a place where we, because we're alone with God, hear his voice a little better and more clearly and remember just how vital that relationship is. Mm -hmm. Where he's brought, yeah, yeah. He's brought you. Yeah. Why he's brought you. Sometimes you just forget that in the midst of all the chaos. And it isn't until you're sitting there, you know, watching this beautiful Arizona sunset mm -hmm. and the palm trees. And, <laughs> and you're just like, wow, he did this for me. He brought me here. Because he loves me that much, he wants me to know him again. Mm. And I love that, Susie, you're able to get to that realization while you're still in the middle of it, right? You're still in the middle of this transition and yeah. getting used to being here and 
your life in one sense has been totally flipped upside down. Yeah. And the fact that you can sit here and go, he is still El Shaddai to me. You know, even if you don't have all of your pieces laid out flat yet, right? Yeah, he is. He is. Um, he is almighty. None of that changed. Yeah. God is who God is in the days of Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. He's that same God. Yeah. And he's that same God that we're reading about in our ID group with um, Psalm 23. Yeah. I am one of his sheep, but I am just as important as the whole flock. Right. And he wants me to know him. And this is where he brought me. Yeah. Now, in in the quiet moments and in the waiting, we all just kind of laughed at the fact that none of us like silence, none of us like waiting, right? <laughs> I think that's something, maybe a little bit of a lost art, is to wait well. Mm. Why do you think that's so hard for us? Yeah, I think partly when I think about how we read the Bible, you know, we see God move very quickly Mm -hmm. because we read fast, but there's so much space between the lines and between the chapters that we don't stop for. But I think sometimes we forget that for, for the people in the Bible stories where God did something big, there was a big gap of waiting before that. Right. Like Sarah and Abraham waited 24 years to have a baby. Um, people get healed and we think, oh, God heals instantaneously. But he healed instantaneously people who had been blind since birth. Right. Or people who had been lame and waiting at the pool for 38 years. We forget that the wait is embedded in the story because when we read, the spaces shorten. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, as you have found, Susie, and I think as we all do, it's in that sort of lonely wait where we remember that we're not alone in the room and that God's in the room with us. Mm. And that's when we know him and, re- and are reminded of sort of that, that deep sense of being known, right. you know, that I think we miss. And I think, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I... I laughed the other day because I was trying to deposit a check using my phone, sitting there drinking coffee, and I found myself frustrated because I had to take the picture three times. (laughs) And I went, this is so slow. But I think that's part of it is that we can choose to speed things up. Yeah. It's very easy to speed things. I mean, I could get on Amazon right now, order something, and it'd be here tonight. And so I think we have a sense of, Things aren't moving fast because I'm not making them move fast, mm. right? So yeah. that there's something we're not doing because it's not happening right away. Yeah. And I think as we see in Scripture, that's just not how God typically likes to move, you know? And I know early on in our lives in China, someone said to us, God is rarely early, but he is never late. And I went, okay. That's right. So if we have to wait, you know, 24 years for God to fulfill some promise he made, then that's what we do. But that, man, that's hard. Yeah, just the, just all the life that happens in between the waiting. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of life that happens in between the waiting. And I think, you know, there's that spirit of entitlement. Like, we should know now. And there's so much that God teaches us in the wait time. Yeah. In the in-between time. Right. It's and, it's, yeah. and it's beautiful. Absolutely. 
right? We think we're not going to like the weight, but when the weight gets us to Jesus, it's like such a beautiful outcome of having to be stuck in the in-between. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really great John Piper quote that is in his book, Faith and Future Grace. And he says, patience is the capacity to wait and endure without murmuring and disillusionment. To wait in the unplanned place and endure the unplanned pace. And I felt like, I mean, I, you know, as Piper does, sums it up better than I could ever <laughs> say. Yeah. But, you know, that unplanned pace, I think, is what can be such a struggle for us. Oh, yeah. It went from, you know, teaching middle school, 5 a.m. alarm, grading papers, 150 kids to a screeching <laughs> halt right. of crickets. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's one of the things, one of the favorite things you know about God now that you didn't maybe not that you didn't know but that you didn't think to remember eight months ago I think in stopping literally stopping life daily life um, I feel like I've rediscovered his word mm. his character um, I just stumbled upon the True Story Project on oh. our website mm. for redemption mm -hmm. and thought, huh, I got the time. I got the time now. Why don't I just start reading the Bible all the way through? Wow. Mm. That is so yeah. cool. Yeah. And then the Sunday messages about Exodus when I first came, mm -hmm. connected with what I was reading, and then the ID group. We, our first season, my first season was in the book of Hebrews, connected with what I was reading, what I was hearing in church. And I, I really feel like I got to know that God is enough. I don't need all those other things. And I really rediscovered Him. That's perfect. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're welcome. How are we doing on time, Carrie? Do we have time for one more yeah, question? Yeah, one, yeah, let's do one more. All right. I was thinking about one of the questions in our ID groups this week and wanted to kind of see what you guys had written down, what, how you responded. What five words would you use to describe Abraham and Sarah's journey of faith? And also, what words would you use to describe yours and why? How did you guys answer that? Well, I first will start off with, I always struggle with following instructions. So <laughs> we'll lead with that. I did six words and I made a sentence. So um, I think for both Abraham and Sarah and actually my faith journey as well, I put faithfully believing but distrusting the timing. Oh. And I oh. love to creatively, creatively problem solve. And so if I feel like the pace is not fast enough, I assume it's something I'm doing wrong. And so there's been times where 
we were delayed in getting back overseas. One of my daughters was sick and we didn't get medically cleared to go quick enough, I didn't think. So I thought, well, I need to just knock out some hours on WebMD, which is never helpful, actually. <laughs> but that's my default is I need to be doing something to hasten this, not maybe God just wants me to wait. And Susie, something you were saying is redeem that weight. Mm -hmm. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in song. Spend time meditating on the truths and the promises that I know. Um, instead, I spin my wheels on Google or whatever it is that's going to creatively sure. problem solve. Yeah. So I definitely have a hard time just trusting the timing. But man, I'll, I'll believe. <laughs> And it's interesting, right? Because as you go through that process, it turns into trust. Mm. Because what maybe you tried to help God along with five years ago, I think every time we see him fulfill, sort of builds trust in a way that gives us the patience to wait a little longer and the hope that he's really writing a really good story and we can trust him for the end of it. The yes. middle might seem long, but he's good for it. You yes. know what I mean? How about you, Susie? What, you, what words did you choose? For, For Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah. Um, well, because I moved so quickly, finished teaching one day and in the truck the next morning. Um, <laughs> um, Abraham, I, I looked at the word exhausting. Mm. You know, I thought of their journey just because of their age. Yeah. I was overwhelmed at their age in life mm -hmm. when this was all really revealed to them right. that they would have a child. Yeah. So... For me, I thought their journey was probably exhausting. Um, just to the the barriers that they faced um, with uh, just the the disbelief, the oh yes, okay, I'm gonna trust. Just you know, th they faced so many barriers with Sarah being able to become pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, the whole story around Hagar and working this out. So, you know, I just felt like for me. That had to be exhausting. Those yeah. types of yeah. mental gymnastics that they yeah. experienced, they had to be exhausting. Yeah. Yes, I definitely agree. Yeah. What else? What yeah. other words? For Abraham and Sarah, another thing that I thought about was just selflessness. Mm -hmm. Um I know that they'd seen God's faithfulness in so many other parts of their life and the lives of their descendants, um, they had to just trust God and not rely on themselves. And yet there was that temptation to try to figure it all out, but they just had to say, you know what? God's got this. And they had to, in our vernacular, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they just had to be selfless and just say, you know what? I'm trusting you, God, that this is your perfect plan. Yeah, Thank that's you. really good. Do you have one word about your own faith journey that you'd like to share? Um, I think for me, it's the highs and the lows, and I'm like carrying that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you know, just that high, that anxiety, that in positive anxiety and anticipation of moving, mm -hmm. and then the reality of I'm here, right. and then finally hearing God say, yes, and I'm here with you. Mm. You're not alone. And I saw that as a real comparison and like 
feeling that Abraham and Sarah must have felt. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at all those stars in the sky, that had to be a high. Mm-hmm. And then time after time when Sarah would not become pregnant, just the loves. Yeah. And then the joy of holding the baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the journey, there's really joy. Absolutely, there is. Yeah. I feel like that brings us full circle to how I shared in the beginning about you taking me by the arm, <laughs> <laughs> saying, it's okay. It's supposed to be this way. I very much feel like that is what the Lord is doing in all of our lives, but especially as you've shared, Susie, just going, it's okay. It's supposed to be this way. You know, the, ho- the good, the bad, the exhausting, he knows, and he is El Shaddai in the midst of it. Absolutely. So thank you. Susie, we just love having you here. Thanks. Thank you for sharing. I'm glad I have new friends. We like that too. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, Yeah, may you find this week that God is enough. We will be back next time when we gather around our podcast table and immerse ourselves in scripture to talk about God is El Roy, the one who sees us. And we will continue to disciple one another towards Jesus.